And when I got back home, I developed the film and I got it out of the tank. It was blank. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> what okay. happened? It depends on your energy, the way you interact. If you have good intentions, people can feel that, I think. You could see people, they looked like hipsters walking around with a film camera. I just went up to them, asked them what kind of film they were shooting. They had no idea because the, the camera had no film in, in it. It was just the camera, it's just a fashion item, you know. Hello fellow photographers, in this episode I'm talking with Robin Chimko, aka The Real Sea Robin about street photography, film photography, books, zines and much more. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Make sure you're subscribed if you want to be notified when I post a new episode. I would be very thankful if you could go and give this podcast 5 star rating and a review. If you like this podcast and want to support it, send a tweet or tell your friends. Take a screenshot and throw it out on your Instagram stories so other people might find it as well. In case you would like to listen to shorter episodes more frequently, there is a new podcast called Best Of About Photography and it is updated daily with highlights from the interviews. All the information can be also found in the description. Now, without any further ado, let's talk about photography. My guest today is photographer Robin Shimko, aka The Real Sir Robin. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me, Martin. So it's a pleasure. Yeah, how are you doing today? Uh, fine. It's early in the morning, but I'm still keeping up, so that's fine. <laughs> okay, uh, let me start by asking you about your YouTube nickname. How did you got this idea? Yeah. It's, I mean, some people know um, because there's a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, maybe you know it, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I actually, I actually watched a few, like I haven't watched the movie, but I watched a few scenes from that. Yes. Uh, so like, there's this character uh, called Robin, like my name, and he's not the bravest uh, knight in that movie, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and yeah, I thought it's funny for some reason, so I came up with the name The Real Sir Robin. Um, I've had this before making the YouTube channel already, so I didn't come up with the name um, for the YouTube channel. So the idea was already there before starting YouTube. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, your YouTube is actually uh, where, where I found you, and I believe it mm -hmm. was uh, one of your POVs, How I Shoot series. How this came to be, did you, because I know you are a wedding photographer, so you also did uh, a lot of street photography, and you decided to do uh, like a point of view series to show your audience how you shoot? Uh, yes, it, um, the... I mean, the idea came up because a lot of people ask me about um, how I do this, what I'm doing. And so I thought maybe I should just do a video. So I had no intentions to really start a YouTube channel. I just wanted to make a video. <laughs> and back then I was in Korea for a couple of months. Um, so I filmed this video in Seoul and yeah, it was good fun. So and then from it developed from there soon, I shot another one, another one, and then yeah, I mean, it just happened. Now I'm, I don't know how many it's, I think I'm approaching a hundred or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty crazy to think about, uh, if somebody would have told me from the start, uh, after shooting the first one, Hey, and you will have like, I don't know, hundreds of them, maybe at one point <laughs> I would have not believed it <laughs> because it, you know, it's, uh, the thing is, um, you, you you want to come up with new stuff, new ideas, and um, 
so it's not getting repetitive and making this for dozens of episodes um yeah it's really hard to imagine how can you come up with something new uh back then the first one i shot with a like a monochrome but then of course uh, because i also started shooting film around that time um maybe that's one reason i made more videos because then i had new cameras film cameras and everything was very exciting so the first uh, film camera on my channel was was the x-pen yeah so yeah i think that might have that might have been a reason why this evolved more maybe only with the monochrome maybe not not so much i'm not sure about present mm-hmm. but you had been traveling a lot before pandemic right and yeah. You have visited like uh, many cities and countries, like uh, you said, Korea, Thailand, Mexico. What place did yeah. you like most for shooting street photography? Oh, uh, that's a tough one. Um, usually, you like the one most that you're. Uh... So usually, it's the if if you come to a new place, it's usually the favorite place in that moment because it's, okay. everything is new and exciting you know if you go to a place that you have been to many times it's very familiar and it can get boring um not really boring but you know it's the excitement that's not there anymore but um if there's one place i, sh- I can i would pick um oh man it's really it's tough it's really tough just recently i came back from russia that was pretty cool, I have to say. Um, I can highly recommend if you have never been there uh, doing street photography. It's pretty cool. People are so relaxed. Nobody cares at all. What town <laughs> really. did you visit? Um, I went to Moscow and St. Petersburg. Oh, okay. So I have actually been to those two. Yeah. Yes. I wanted to go to some other places, but I only had two weeks. So I thought, nah, maybe it's better just, you know, stay in one place for a week. Then you have more time to explore. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's absolutely great. Maybe I will go back there in winter. Um, I think winter might be interesting because it's so different and I might freeze my butt off, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might be okay. <laughs> so yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, it's really hard to pick one place. There are so many really cool places like in, in Europe. Uh, Istanbul is pretty cool. Um, it's a pretty interesting place. Uh, like I said, in Russia, Bangkok is cool. Um, it's probably not my favorite, but I don't know. I like the vibe, but people are really nice and there's always new stuff you can explore, new areas of the city where you could just go. And it's really interesting because, um, sometimes in these places, there's no foreigners at all. Okay. So yeah, the, the only one, you know, um, and other than that, I think Iran was pretty cool. Okay. Um, uh, but I didn't film videos there, uh, was before YouTube. But I'd like to go there again because it was pretty nice. Uh, people are really nice, and it's it's really exotic and to some degree, and um, yeah, it's very exciting to shoot there. Okay. So, but there's also places like New York. New York is amazing. Um, I only spent there five days, and the weather was uh, not so great. But I can understand why a lot of people like New York for shooting street. Um, it's a real I don't know the the whole vibe and all these massive buildings and I mean if even if you have never been there and you go there the first time it everything looks familiar you know because you have seen it in movies and whatever so yeah. <laughs> everything looks really familiar. I, I've, I've known this building I've seen this before you know so um, it feels like a city you've already been to <laughs> so yeah that was great shooting there was also great so there's so many like I said there's so many places um, sometimes also small cities can be nice. Okay. 
you only need uh, maybe good lighting, you know, maybe there's some crazy event going on, whatever. And then for some reason, everything lines up and then this is, can be amazing. But you can also go to uh, a major city like in Mexico, for instance, when I was there in the beginning in Mexico City, it was not so great because there were not many people. <laughs> it was pretty empty and it felt really deserted at some point. Um, so, yeah, it also depends on timing, I guess not just the place itself. What is, uh, in your opinion, like, or maybe from your experience, the most hostile uh, city or country for shooting street photography? Okay, the most hostile place, that's a place I've never been to. So. <laughs> uh, to be honest, um, I think that's, yes, people react in different ways. You know, um, if I, just recent memories, if I couldn't, would compare um, Mexico and Russia, uh-huh. Uh, there's a big difference, uh, not what people would expect, um, because in Russia, it felt like people did not react at all. Okay. Um, they noticed you, but they kept doing whatever they, they did. And um, they didn't show any reaction. Sometimes, if it's a girl, did she just smiled? I think people, then they, they feel flattered, you know. Okay. If you take the photo. And I've taken photos really close up there, and... It was pretty interesting, um, but you'll see videos will come at one point. Okay, perfect. And um, in Mexico, for instance, uh, it was quite the opposite. So people reacted, but not in a negative way, but uh, they smiled. You know, it's like, ah, that's what you don't really want, you know, because then suddenly it feels staged. Okay. <laughs> to some degree, you know, so you had to be really quick because because people, they just, just smiling, you know, most of them and nobody really um, complained at all. So I think that's a big misconception. I think it depends on your energy, the way you interact. And if you come from, um, if you have good intentions, people can feel that, I think. So they will probably, if you, I mean, I've talked about this in videos, you know, if you are sneaky and you try to hide it, it's more likely that you will get a bad reaction because then people think if you have to hide something, Maybe this, it's not a good thing. He's up to something not good, you know? Okay. So I think if you're really open about it, um, it's less likely that something bad will happen. It's, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's the opposite of what people would think. Oh, I would try to hide it so nobody would see me and I will get away with it. But it's more likely that you end up in trouble. But of course it can happen. I mean, there's crazy people out there. It can happen that uh, you come across somebody that had a bad day, whatever. Um, and what you have to keep in mind is that most people they have, I mean, for us, it's very, it's, we know the concept of street photography, you know, but 99.9% of people, they have no idea. They don't know what it is. They have seen some images maybe in a gallery or um, on the internet, but they don't know the concepts for them. It's really weird to take pictures of strangers <laughs> because they only take pictures of people they know, their friends, their family, you know, or landscapes, whatever. But taking pe uh, photos of strangers for them is a very strange concept to do. Um, so for them, it needs a little bit time to uh, process what's going on. If you explain and you show them some photos, sometimes they really like it. Um, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people would like to have a cool photo like this that is not staged, that is different than other photos they have. You know, um, that's why I think people, they pay too much attention thinking about this, you know, what could happen because most likely nothing will happen. 
And sometimes if you really think something will happen, maybe it will happen because you're just thinking about it, you know. (laughs) I mean, you never know. I mean, for me, I'm doing this since 10 years and so far it's been just fine. I mean, yeah, somebody might yell at you, but it's very, very rare. Okay. So, yeah, there's no bad place. It's like, you know, there's no bad weather. It just depends on what you're wearing. So (laughs) it's the same. You also have shot many different formats. I'm wondering when you shoot when you shoot vertically, there is this like kind of notion that you direct the eyes of the viewer, you know, from from left to right as, as we are, you know, yeah. um, as we read. And when you have the vertical image, you direct so, so the viewer looks from the you know bottom to the uh, to the top of the image. So what is the advantage of medium format? What would you use it for? Oh, that is hard. I mean. Okay, so for instance, depending on what you're doing, if you're going for, uh, if you want to more do like artsy stuff uh, and you want to have it printed, and especially if you shoot uh, vertical, um, it's better because the the uh, I don't know the aspect ratio is more suited for printing. Um, but in terms of um, if you want to shoot portraits, it's it's way better than uh, 35 mil. Because uh, it's a little wider, you know, if you shoot in, in vertical, so you have more room on the sides. So for me, this is similar to four by three. If you shoot uh, micro four thirds, uh, I think for portraits, for me, if you shoot vertical, it makes more sense than uh, using like the regular three by two aspect ratio. And for that, yes, if you shoot a lot of, um, and like I said, if you want to print something like uh, in a regular book that is not in, in horizontal orientation, this makes a whole lot more sense. If you want to do that, um, for me, I would probably not do this because I shoot 99% of my images are horizontal. So yeah, um, I think I need some time to get used to this. Then uh, maybe you can ask me again. <laughs> but I think yeah, there's a there's you can you can fill the frame nicely with this, of course. But yeah, it's maybe um, you know it's a, it's a different direction from if you. The middle ground would be a three by two, and you go to the uh, to the expense one extreme, and this is like the other side, but maybe not that extreme. You know, it's just it's very it's much closer, so it's much easier to get used to this, and maybe do some come some come up with something to fill the frame. Okay, if that makes sense. For shooting street photography, I think there's no advantage of shooting medium format over uh, 35. I think 35 millimeter is better because you have more images out of one roll, so it's it's a clear advantage and I, if I have a project or um, I want to go out and shoot a lot then I would probably not use medium format. Um, I think if you maybe if you have a project so the reason I bought this camera is um, yes I want to film some videos but it's more to produce the content you know to have something different um, and yes you will get a different look especially if you shoot it wide open um it has this distinct look you know it's you can also get it with 35 and a fast lens but still the bigger negative makes a difference it looks i don't know it looks you have better quality in general and um that is pretty much the reason for me to use something like this for street photography but if you want to do a project that maybe involves um not just street photography also maybe some documentary photography then I think medium format because 
on this camera I only have uh, 10 shots a roll or if I switch it to 6x6, 12, so it's not a whole lot. Uh, so for street photography, uh, it will be hard to get one good image out of 10, you know. But if you do like more documentary stuff, so you have more time, so you can frame everything uh, really nicely um, and you're not wasting a lot of um, a lot of film. So I think for that type of application, it's, it's really good. I think for street photography, I would probably not recommend using uh, medium format. I mean, yeah, there are some big names out there that used it in the past like Vivian Mayer, for instance, or uh, Robert Kappa also. I mean, they. I think uh, Bresson also used medium format in the beginning, as far as I know. He wasn't, was he? Uh, I think like he started with the... Uh... Before Brownie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he shooting? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you can do it, but I would not, because... For street photography, also the image quality is not um, the major or the main factor. You know, if the image quality is not perfect, doesn't really nobody really cares if as long as the image is good. So that's more important. So I think that that's not a reason. But like I said, if you want to do um, a publication and you want to do um, more like documentary stuff, then maybe the quality, especially for printing, can make a difference. And medium format is far superior. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, other than that, like if, for instance, if you shoot um, expand, also you can see it's a difference because it's like pretty much like half a medium format frame. <laughs> okay. Um, and if you print it, you can see the difference, of course. Um, but yeah, it's not a it's not huge, but it's there for sure. But and uh, some people also said you can um, emulate expand on medium format. Yes, you can do it, but why would you? I mean, that's such a waste of film. Uh, because you're throwing away half the frame, basically. So the top and the bottom, you know. So there's, I mean, there's some cameras that, um, I think the Mamiya 7, you can load some 35mm and uh, have like an X, I think there's a mask for it. So we have like X-Pen-ish uh, photos. Um, yeah, that would be okay. I mean, actually, maybe if you want to shoot X-Pen, might be the best option because you get a medium format camera and the X-Pen in one camera. <laughs> so I th from what I've heard, it's it's not easy to get the mask. It's pretty rare. But if you can find it, uh, this might be a good idea too, because then you have like two cameras in one, and like for half the price. Okay. Um. But yeah, I think in general, medium format is nice. But for street stuff, I would probably not not recommend using it at all. Right. Is it difficult to switch in your mind to see in a different ratio because you shoot yes. like really wide and you also shoot medium format and then just standard 35 millimeter, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, 35 millimeter, uh, three by two aspect ratio. It's uh, it's very common, so I'm totally used to that because that's what I shoot mostly. But um, switching from 35 or like uh, three by two to um, the X-Band, for instance, it's it's pretty rough, especially if you haven't shot it in a while. Then suddenly you realize, oh, <laughs> it's it's you need some time to get used to it. Um, shooting medium format, uh, talking about medium format, uh, I just picked up a new camera. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not that different because the format is, uh, I mean, if you shoot square, of course, but um, it's not that big of a difference but expand is very different and it needs some time to get used to for sure especially uh, with the lens that I have it's a 45 millimeter um, if you use the, the 30 mil on the expand 
Not so much because uh, for me it's, it's, it is familiar because in terms of height, it's the same like the 28. It's roughly the same, but it's of course it's wider to the sides, but you know that's easier to get used to than having to shoot a lens that is narrow and total, okay. and but wider on the side, so <laughs> it can be confusing a little bit. But yeah, after maybe uh, a couple shots, I get used to it. But yeah, it always takes time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, are there any subjects that are more suitable for you know some formats? Or like uh, I can't imagine shooting like portraits with a like wide aspect ratio. Um, yeah, port I mean portraits can work. I've done it uh, with the X-Pen, but it's not ideal. Absolutely. I mean, and I only have the 45 millimeter with a 90 millimeter, um, and you get more background separation. Uh, you can do some cool things. I've seen some cool videos on YouTube where you can clearly see it, but. Um, that's not the reason I'm using the X-Pen. I mean, I've shot I don't know, maybe two or three occasions where I sh uh, use it for uh, specifically for um, portraits. Um, other than that, um, for street photography and maybe X-Pen, it's good to have, I mean, you know, the concept of layering, you know? Yeah. Uh, for that, it's pretty cool because you can uh, not just layer in the stuff in the background. You can also layer like you know on one uh, plane to the side stuff. So you can do that uh, because it's so wide. Uh, but it's pretty hard, you know, um, because the aspect ratio things need to line up. Um, it's not easy to um, fill the frame with uh, interest, a lot of in interesting things. So it's very challenging. If it works, it's pretty cool because it's very very different. I've, I have some images where um, it totally worked, but it's uh, it happens only occasionally. So I think overall um, using the X-Pen, I mean, the X-Pen as a camera is very hyped. You know, and I've just seen a video, of, uh, you know, there's this uh, Marcus Brownlee, you know him? It's, yeah. He's one of the, the biggest tech YouTubers. And he made a studio tour and there you can see one desk and on the desk there, there's film cameras. There's a Hasselblad, I think it's a Mamiya 7, and there is a Fuji uh, X-T1, uh, or TX1, but, so it's an X-Pen. Ah, okay. I was really surprised to see that on the table there. I was like, oh, holy shit, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty, I think it's, I don't know if, if he's shooting it or some of his stuff. It looks like it's more some of his stuff, but yeah, it was pretty interesting to see that, but it's a very hyped camera. Um, but if I somebody would ask me to pick one, I would not pick the X-Pen as my only camera because um, it sometimes it doesn't work, you know. Okay. And you're, I mean, you only have 20 shots per roll, and you're wasting often. You're wasting maybe one shot because maybe uh, the regular aspect ratio would have worked better. So, I mean, you can switch mid-roll, but I don't know. And the point of the X-Pen is not to shoot uh, three by two. Um, I don't know. You can do it, of course, but yeah, yeah, it's pretty challenging. Yeah, but it's fun, <laughs> nevertheless. So you feel like it's more for like documentation type of photography because you're capturing the whole scene. And I also saw you you shoot uh, you shot some vertical images uh, yes. with, with the expand. That must be like really challenging. Uh, I mean, uh, wait, I can find it. Uh, this, for instance, you can see it here. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, 
it can work. So people ask me about trying this, uh, but it's really, really rough. I mean, to sometimes in this case, it worked totally. And it's in this case also it's interesting because the three by two would have not worked here in this case. So there's the differences here, the expand. And another reason I'm not doing it too much is because if I upload a video, I mean, <laughs> the image will get really like, I mean, you, you barely can see it, you know, if you post it on YouTube. So, and also on, if you want to post it on Instagram, it's not ideal. So, um, what are you going to do with these images? You know, if you print them, okay, maybe you can do a zine or something, a book only vertical images, but yeah, that, that will be actually pretty interesting. Um, because the, and hard at the same time to come up with, uh, a lot of good content. Um, yes, it's very challenging. I think with the, it's also because of the lens I'm using the 45 millimeter. Maybe with a 30 might it be a little bit easier um, because you can get closer and still get a lot in the frame. <laughs> I have checked the prices before uh, yeah. this video and it's the expand. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Is it it's like absolutely insane? If you like didn't have it, would you still pick it up for uh, no. the prices? No. On the internet? No. No. And by the way, I'm. Uh, I would totally love to get the 30 mil, but it's so expensive i mean i've shot it and yes it's great it's it's it felt so familiar because of uh the the focal length it's similar to a 28 so it felt so familiar so i but the problem is if the camera breaks the lens is useless you know okay you can adapt it to a digital camera but it's not the same field of view so that's something that keeps me from buying it because you, you can easily spend like two and a half three thousand euros for the, only for the lens um, and yeah, for me, I, right now it's not worth it. I think, um, I would much rather pick up something like this here. <laughs> okay. It's more fun, you know, it's, and something new, something interesting. Um, hopefully I will shoot some videos with this very soon. I've shot one role, only some portraits of some friends and uh, yeah, I mean, it looks, looks pretty cool. So as, um, yeah, expand. in today's video, by the way, uh, I will talk about the expand because, um, people ask me if I have sold it because I wasn't using it for a long time, but there's reason for reasons for it. So this will be in today's video. And if I, my camera would break, I would not replace it probably. I mean, maybe sometimes, you know, you can, um, like this uh, medium format camera I just showed you. Um, I picked it up for a price that was pretty unbelievable. I thought, uh, there's no way I can get it for this good deal, you know, because usually it costs way more. Uh, maybe sometimes you get lucky and you will find a good price for, even for the expand. Um, but I think right now, I think you pay north of 3000 euros for the camera yeah, for like the that. Or more even. Yeah, 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 it's pretty, I mean, this is pretty sick. You know, when I picked I bought mine for like maybe half, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like uh, even, but even then it was a good price. But the price, usually in general, the price, oh, back then the prices in general, they were not that outrageous like they are right now. And I think it's, it's, people have to realize it's more than the camera was brand new, I guess. So, and it's an electronic camera. It will fail at one point. That's the question is not if it will fail. The question is when, you know, I have friends that also uh, own expands and so far it's fine. One friend had some issues. Uh, mine is also making a little bit of trouble. It's not a big, not big of a deal, but it will break at some point. I know I'm aware of this, and if it happens, it happens, you know. But I would not pick one, another one up. 
hopefully, I mean, I would love to see a new one, you know. Um, I think it would sell well if the price is right, but that this will probably never happen. So. Okay. And why, yeah, is, I it, mean, why is it that hmm? XPEN is so expensive? I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, the demand. I mean, um, it's pretty hyped. Uh, people want to have something different. And yeah, so some people, they don't care about the price, you know, and that drives up prices. I mean, in general, uh, film cameras, they're going crazy. Like if you like an M6, for instance, you know, uh, when you it's also like 2000 euros or more. Um, so a friend bought a like a like M2 and he said, oh, yeah, he he saw this like M2 for 1500 euros. I go, what? <laughs> 1500 euros. That's crazy. You know, I can remember when you could pick them up for like five, six hundred easily for like two years ago or something. I was like, what? 1500. That's nuts. Why would you pay that amount of money for like M2? I mean, but, you know, but the good thing is. Uh, and a lot of people forget about this. They say, oh, it's all, everything is expensive and they blame Leica for these outrageous prices. But I mean, it's used. So <laughs> it's not Leica who's uh, pr uh, coming up with like these prices. It's it's the market, you know. But the good thing is uh, you can probably resell it for more at one point if you want or you, you won't lose any money. That's a good thing. If it's a, especially if it's a fully mechanical camera that will not, it's less likely to break. If you sell it a couple of years later, uh, you will probably get more money than you paid for it. So all my film cameras, I could sell and make a good profit. I'm not, I have no intentions of doing that because I, I, I like to use it. You know, I'm not, I'm not buying them to make money, but that's a good part. And that's compare this to a digital camera. <laughs> you know, you can, you buy the, you buy a digital camera, the new Fuji, Sony, whatever, a year later, you will get half the money. So it's still rough because i think for people that start starting out with film photography it gets harder and harder because um the really desirable cameras like also the hustle plots they they got really expensive when i was looking for a medium format cameras like the mamiya 7s i mean i can i mean i was not looking at prices for a while and i was shocked to see yeah, that those are pretty much yes like three, four thousand, no problem. I can still remember where you can pick them up for less than two thousand. It's like maybe one or two years ago, and uh, whoa. So for me, that's that, that ruled out the Mamiya Seven because I'm not paying this money for that camera. It's not for me. It's not worth it. So, yeah, that's. I think I don't know. Something has to happen in the future because if film is still on the, it will be in the rise in a couple of years from now. Where are prices then? You know. <laughs> It's already absolutely nuts. I mean, at one point, yeah, it will probably prices won't go up that much more. But people still want to buy cameras, you know. Then they buy all these these really bad and um, messed up cameras. I don't know. I mean, I like to use cameras that work, you know, okay. <laughs> not too quirky cameras that have a lot of issues. Uh, they can be fun once in a while, but if you want to do some work, you're working on a project or something, you want a camera that works. You don't want to have to think about the whole time uh, if the camera breaks or whatever. So yeah, but we'll see. And why do you think film is having comeback? I would say like, you know, more and more people are interested in shooting film or is it just this kind of like hipster-ish thing to use old stuff? 
I think there's more reasons for it. This is probably one reason. Um, I mean, I can re still remember when I was in, in Korea, you could see people, they looked like hipsters walking around with a film camera. And from time to time, I just went up to them, asked them what kind of film they were shooting. They had no idea because the, the camera had no film in, in it. It was just the camera. It's just a fashion item, you know. Okay. <laughs> it was, oh, yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. Uh, when you ask them, hey, what film are you shooting? I don't know. No film. <laughs> Um, I think that is one reason. And I think another reason is that people are fed up with this short lift, you know, this fast pace that is going on. And this, I mean, if you have a digital camera like this, like the monochrome here, uh, you can connect this to your phone and you can upload instantly. Um, and I think for people, they realize it's also there's a lot of pressure involved, you know. So a friend told me about this 24 hours project. You probably know about this. And he said, yeah, you have to upload one photo an hour, I think something like that. And I said, hey, for me, I would not do this because what's the point? You know, I don't want to go out and shoot and then upload straight from my camera to my phone and then on put it on Instagram. I don't know. I mean, for me, it might be interesting for people that only shoot once in a while and then they have this crazy day where they do this. But for me, I'm not a fan of this. And um, I think one really big reason is that people, maybe they don't want to do uh, editing, uh, but I think that's maybe only a small percentage. I think it's people, they want this. They don't want perfection. You know, if you shoot a digital camera, uh, even though I'm shooting the monochrome, I mean, it's the, the, craziest camera I've ever shot in low light. It's absolutely insane. You know, I shot it now in, in, in Russia and St. Petersburg at night and you can shoot at one to 50th at night and you have no issues, which is absolutely unheard of. Uh, but I think people, they want, um, they don't want this perfection because you know, the, the manufacturers, they will tell you once a year, there's a new model, get this it's even better than the old one. And I think a lot of people are fed up with this because if you shoot uh, like like I'm six, you can shoot it over years, many years, and um, you don't feel the urge to buy a, a new camera, you know. And with a digital camera, you always feel this pressure to upgrade to the newest model. And Sony was uh, pretty bad at doing this for a while. <laughs> they brought out new cameras every year. And for me, when I start shooting film, um, my habit of buying new cameras often just died, basically. So, uh, like especially uh, digital cameras, you know. Before that, I bought sometimes bought two or three cameras a year, um, but since then, it's not happening anymore because I don't see the point of that. So I'd much rather pick up a film camera, go out and shoot and maybe try different film stocks or whatever, or push film so you have a different look if you want that. Um, and the photos, they don't have to be perfect. Okay. So I think I think this is uh, the more, I mean, a lot of people are talking about this and I think a lot of people would probably agree that this might be the main reason. And it slows things down and um, yeah, I think people, and find this more enjoyable than shooting digital, you know, and like going through hundreds and hundreds of images. Yes, there's a, I mean, I shoot both, you know, because there's a place for both. So for an assignment or a, a job, I would probably um, rather shoot digital because it's, 
yeah, I mean, film, you know, if you shoot film, you know, things can go wrong. And um, sometimes um, that you, there's stuff like a wedding, you know, you can't repeat it. Yeah. <laughs> when it's done, it's done. You know, <laughs> if you, you cannot tell them, oh, sorry, um, I messed up the film, you know, <laughs> um, that's pretty bad. I, for instance, um, I had this um, shooting, you know, and I, there was a couple. And I also brought, um, I mean, I shot digital and I said, hey, uh, I also brought this film camera. So I brought a film camera, my M6, um, and I loaded up some Adox Silvermax, uh, if you're familiar with that film. And because it's a and it's a pretty cool film, has a, green, a really nice black and white film. So I shot, um, <laughs> I shot the, the whole role and also I shot digital, mostly digital. It was just an addition, you know. And when I got back home, I developed the film and I got it out of the tank. It was blank. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> what okay. happened? It was nothing. The film base is very clear. So there was nothing. I was like, whoa, that's pretty weird. I mean, if even if you underexpose it, there will be something, you know, but there was absolutely nothing. And then I realized that the, um, the developer had gone bad. That was the reason because it was a, it's a special, it's a, there's a special developer for that film that gets the most out of it and only has a shelf life of a couple of weeks if you open it. I, and I, I had no idea because the developer, I'm using um, HC110 codec. I mean, you can, it's not a problem. You can use it over months, no problem. You know? And yeah, that, you know, this stuff can happen. I mean, it, if that happens, and it wasn't a problem because I was also shooting digital. It was just an addition, you know, no problem. But if you shoot a wedding or something important, even important to you, then yeah, this is um, not a nice experience to have. So for that, I think digital has is perfect for doing that. But yes, I mean, film, it's it's different. And yeah, I don't. What was the question? You are <laughs> <laughs> uh, also using a lot of, uh, not a lot of, but you use some filters on your lenses. Yeah. Is there like a specific look you are looking for, or, or are you just trying out different filters uh, for different film stocks or cameras? Um, filters, I think. Um, I mean, if you let me think. Um, I think the only reason I'm using uh, or the only camera I was using filters a lot was uh, is the monochrome. Um, and the reason is I like the look. I like the look of a red filter because uh, everything, you know, a red filter, what it does for people who don't know, is like everything that is red or has reds in it, get it gets lighter. And for instance, the skin. So skin gets lighter and it's also smoothing out the skin and everything that's blue gets darker so you get this dramatic look like sky gets really dark skin gets brighter and you can also underexpose a little more because the skin gets brighter so if you have people in the frame so you already getting a more dramatic look but you have to be really careful because um if somebody has blue eyes they will turn black <laughs> <laughs> they did they look like zombies if they had like really blue eyes and they look like zombies then you know that's uh you have to be careful with that <laughs> if it's some random strangers nobody would know you know but if you're shooting portraits you have to be aware of that because then they might ask what's what's happening with my eyes you know um but yeah it's the it's the it's just this look you know in uh, in for instance in mexico there i started uh, like a project and i used the red filter the whole time because i wanted this consistent look throughout the whole project, you know, that's why I did it. And, um, 
there it was sunny every day. I was shooting pretty much every day, so it made sense. If it's overcast, I'm not not really using the filter that much because uh, it only shines if the sun is out, you know. But yeah, the look is really nice. On film, you can also do it, but uh, you will also introduce a lot of more contrast. On the monochrome, for instance, um, the images, the raw files, they come out really flat uh, in Lightroom. Even with a red filter, they are rather flat, so they're not super con contrasty. But as you know, I mean, it's easy to add contrast and make it look like however you want. But on film, if you add uh, a red filter, uh, the image will or the, the negative will get more contrasty, way more contrasty. And also, if you shoot uh, a rangefinder, then you also have the issues or the issue if you want to shoot wide open or nearly wide open that um, the focal the focal point will change because of uh, different wavelengths of film. So it's a uh, there's a good explanation for this. I can't give you that, but <laughs> okay. uh, I've noticed I've no I've noticed that. So when I shot the monochrome and the red filter, that a lot of photos were not in focus. So I was I was curious what happened. So I what I did. Um, I used live view, focused, spot on on the point with the red filter. Then I looked through the viewfinder and yes, the rangefinder was way off. It's like, whoa, that's interesting. When I took off the filter, everything was lined up. So it was the filter that, so I did some uh, some research. I looked it up on um, on Google, then I found out about this. So <laughs> um, yeah, on the that's the advantage on this here because it's not a rangefinder, so it's there's no effect on this camera, so it's still the focus is spot on. So that's one reason, or pretty much the only reason I'm using a filter is on the on here on the monochrome. I would use it on the M6, but I don't know. I don't shoot that much black and white, um, and for me, I can pick a film that already gives me a similar look. You know, if the Rolly, the Retro S films, the 80 and the 400, they already will give you a similar look so this already looks more dramatic so i can use that instead of a filter because also the filter cuts away a couple stops so you have to take this into consideration <laughs> yeah and what is the advantage of physical filters because i know leica offers uh like emulation for its digital files that you can set in um i mean at least uh, leica m does it that you can preset your filter uh, in the settings, right? So I don't know how it works. If the raw is uh, actually like different, if you if you set it in, in the settings, or uh, do you see like quality difference when you use a physical filter over when you uh, apply the same setting in, let's say, Lightroom or something like that? Because you can filter out the colors or something like that. Yeah, but the thing is, the monochrome. Um the only way you have uh, control over how the black and white looks is by using filters. There's no other way around it. You know, if you have a a, a color sensor, yes, of course, you can play with the color channels um, while converting to black and white to get a similar look. But on the monochrome, there's you can only use filters. That's the only way you can alter your black and white. Oh, you're so right, that's, because you don't you have, have the color have, channels. Have, yes, exactly. So you have to use filters to get a certain look. Ah, okay, I see. And it's a big difference. I mean, if you if you shoot the same photo, I mean, I will have a um, probably at one point I will have a review about the monochrome. And in there, I shot also in, back in Mexico, I shot some portraits and stuff where I use different filters, and you can see it's a big difference. Okay, perfect. Looking forward to that. Yeah. 
Uh, apart from street photography, you also shoot weddings, right? Uh, is yeah. it something that might be maybe a little bit easier for someone who has street photography background? Because it feels to me that it's kind of like in this documentary-ish, maybe candid-ish yeah. genre. I think it goes both ways. Um, if you shoot weddings a lot, like candid stuff a lot and on weddings, and then you suddenly uh, you discover street photography, you have it way easier because it's the same thing, actually. The only difference is people pay you to be there and <laughs> most the guests, the guests know that you are there to uh, take photos. But it's actually like the whole approach, how you shoot and everything is and you have to be quick to get a good moment. Uh, it's the same thing. It's exactly the same. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of people that shoot weddings, they also shoot street because it's um, it's the approach is the same. But the only difference is there you shoot for a client. And if you shoot street, you shoot for yourself. So you're looking uh, for stuff that you like. And um, in a perfect world, of course, if you shoot a wedding, people, uh, they will um, get you as a photographer because they want your style. They want the photos that you like to shoot because they also want these kind of photos. So that's perfect because then it's not a big difference between shooting street and weddings. It's actually it's like the same thing. The, maybe one difference is you uh, on street, uh, when you shoot street and maybe it's not going that well. You can just stop <laughs> on the wedding. No, it's, it's no way. <laughs> you have a contract. You know you have to fulfill it. <laughs> and where do you take inspiration for for uh, wedding shots? Do you have like a shot list uh, you do every time you do wedding, or and do you look online no. for what's popular, or does client tell you I I I want this specific look? Okay. Um, no, um, I had clients who asked me to do uh, specific things, but I said, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that because I'm, I, I told them that I'm not trying to, um, imitate my images that I've done in the past. I'm always trying to do something new because otherwise it gets boring and repetitive. I don't want to do this. I mean, it would be really easy to have like, okay, I have this certain look, that certain look, you know, and then that day, okay, I just pick whatever whatever fits in that moment, but I'm always trying to come up with uh, something new, something I've never done before, or maybe, I mean, it's hard to get new ideas all the time, but often because the, the location is changing often because then there's a different environment. It's like shooting, um, shooting street. If you're in a new place, it's, it's exciting, you know, and you see more things, new things. And it's the same with a, with a wedding, new location. It's, and everything's more exciting. You can uh, make use of certain things that are there. The lighting may be diff may, might be different on that day. Maybe it's raining, it, which is not in a disadvantage. I think sometimes it can be an advantage because you can do stuff uh, other people would not do. Um, I think for me, um, shooting a wedding is, um, yeah, because if I, like I said, if I do, would do the same thing again and again, I would probably don't like it that much anymore because it's just getting so boring. And, um, so I don't have a shot list and usually clients don't ask me to do this and that it's pretty rare, but I usually tell them, Hey, uh, that's usually not how I work. Because, you know, they, they book me because they see, they see my images, they like them and they want something similar and they can see that my shots are different from wedding to wedding. It's not the same. I mean, I have the candid, candid moments, but candid moments are always different. You know, it's like shooting street. This moment will never happen again. This once in a lifetime, you know, it's the same thing. Um, 
And also, I think uh, if you, I mean, I don't know. Um, I shot street before I sh uh, shot weddings. So um, I don't know if I was influenced by shooting street, you know, so my approach of shooting weddings. Um, but it would be interesting to see uh, people that started shooting wedding and then they, they also started to shoot street. So if they noticed that they were influenced by that, you know, it would be pretty interesting to uh, find out. Maybe somebody could uh, make a study about this. <laughs> it would be interesting, interesting topic. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, shooting weddings, I mean, the last two years, uh, not that much, you know, because last year there was, I had maybe one wedding, so <laughs> not really that much. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, but it's fun. I mean, I like it because I have the same freedom uh, as when I go out shoot street. It's for me, it's, it's very, it's two, maybe 90%. It's the same thing. And uh, what is your wedding photography process for someone who is maybe, you know, not trying to get into the wedding business, but maybe is about to shoot a wedding of a friend. I, I shot one wedding and I know like I, I looked up a lot of information online because, you know, this is this is like a unique moment and you don't want to mess it up. Right. And then I just took yes. like so many pictures because I was afraid I'm I'm going to miss a moment. But when I look back to my own wedding, I only looked at like one photo, you know, or, or something yeah, like that. Yes, and basically yeah. like your yeah, yeah. grandparents want to have a photograph, but people are often uh or at least what i see they want to get like 400 images because they, they feel like they're paying yeah. for that so what is your um, process what should you look look for you know not to mess up or what you should you know focus on when you shoot wedding for the first time oh okay um when you shoot a wedding for the first time <laughs> maybe like um, your friend ask you uh, maybe like your friend asks you to. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you're shooting the wedding, a wedding for the first time. I mean, it depends. If you're an experienced photographer, maybe an experienced street photographer, uh, it will be a different experience from somebody that is maybe uh, only shooting once in a while something, but maybe landscapes, maybe sometimes a portrait or whatever. Uh, the experience will be way, way different. You know, for somebody that's already experienced, um, maybe it's a photo, maybe a photojournalist uh, would be a piece of cake, you know. Uh, so it's really hard um, to give um, advice. It depends on the on your skill level. Um, but in general, I mean, just go in, have fun, you know. That's I think that's the <laughs> most important thing. Don't be scared of uh, messing up because you will mess up. You can you. I mean, there's no way you can avoid that. It will happen. It will happen. Like things, you know, Murphy's Law, things just that can go wrong, they will go wrong. <laughs> but, um, and if you miss one moment, maybe it's not too bad because uh, you will miss moments. I'm missing moments because sometimes they happen and you're not there and it's too far away. Um, yeah, don't be worried about that. Just go in and have fun and just try to do the best that you can do. And that's it. And learn from that experience. Maybe if you do mistakes, maybe next time try to don't, not to make them again, um, because you will. That's hundred percent will happen. And don't shoot film on your first wedding, please don't. <laughs> so that might be like a number one advice: don't shoot film on your first wedding, right? Yes, I mean, it, it, 
yeah, if you're a super experienced film shooter, maybe then it's okay, you know. But uh, in general, if you are like a like a beginner, don't get like it's similar to um, people that start diving, you know. Okay. I was I'm not a diver, but I was always thinking, oh man, it's so cool, and then you can take all these cool photos like underwater. But somebody told me, hey, if you do this, uh, don't think about taking photos learn to dive first <laughs> because you know it, it's so overwhelming it's so many things to uh, take care of and it you won't get good results anyway so don't think about it and it's the same you know it's the same if you start just start out shooting and then you do a wedding um it's it will be very overwhelming you will do a lot of mistakes and your photos will probably not be great um as long as your clients are happy it's fine but if you have uh, clients that um have high expectations, yeah, this might not be so well. So the feedback you might get is not might not, not be that great. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk about a film a little bit. Uh, do you have a yeah. favorite film stock? Um, yes, I could give you one now, but maybe next week I would give you another one. You know, <laughs> it's changing. But if... Um, for instance, I like um, the um, Kodak Vision 3 films. I like them a lot. Like the 200T is pretty cool. Uh, I just like the look. You know, I just got uh, some scans back from Silbersalz from um, from Moscow, and I just like the look. Yeah, it's it's really cool. So I like that film. Um, and I also like the uh, some older stocks. Like I, for instance, uh, a mo- very popular film is Profound Age, for instance. Especially in medium format, I like that over portrait. I prefer for profound age. Unfortunately, it's discontinued, so <laughs> I still have uh, a bunch of, so it's fine. But it will be gone at one point, which is very sad. But yeah, there's uh, for medium format, I like that uh, a lot. So that's probably one of my favorites um, in terms of color. But black and white, oh my god, there's so many and so many different looks there's way more in black and white than in color you know there's in color there's not that many options left okay and they all are kind of similar but in black and white it's a whole different story you can get so many different looks and so there it's pretty hard i think across is uh high on the list as a favorite um for sure and also hp5 triax the classic ones yeah i think if i if somebody would ask me to pick one, I would probably pick HP5 for 35 mil because it's very versatile and um, yeah, you can shoot at night in the daytime. It always works though. And also 35 in terms of color, there was uh, one film stock. I wish it would be still around. It's um, a Fuji Natura 1600, which it seems crazy to shoot uh, or pick a 1600 speed film, but I shot it in the daytime, uh, overexposed it like crazy, and it still looks good. So, And you could shoot it in the daytime, and you could shoot the same role at night, uh, which was pretty pretty nice. So I, I think that would be a cool film stock to have back. Uh, but yeah, it's not going to happen. Fuji's not going to do that, uh, which is really sad. I still have some rolls in the fridge, and now a roll goes for 50 bucks on eBay. Oh, wow. <laughs> 50. Yes. It's pretty crazy. I should. I, I remember I was in um, in Taiwan um, three years ago, I think. And by then, Fuji announced that they will discontinue the film. And um, I went to uh, this camera shop, and in the fridge, 
the whole fridge was full of Fuji Natura and the price was half then here in Europe. And I thought, oh man, that's a good price. So I bought 10, 10 rolls. And I mean, in hindsight, I would say I should have bought all of them. I mean, they had like a hundred at least, you know, now you can sell them for 50 bucks, you know, <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> insane. I'd probably not sell them. I would shoot them, but oh man. Yes, because the film, when they, this, usually when they discontinue a film, it will still be around for a bit, for maybe one, two years. But that that one just went quickly. It was gone like instantly. And it was pretty sad. So I wish that that's probably one of my favorites that I ever shot because it's so versatile. It's similar like to HP5 in, in uh, black and white. Okay. So yeah, that would be great. And, uh... and Ectochrome. Please, Kodak, please bring back Ectachrome, please. Oh, man. I, I'm, not Ectachrome, uh, Kodachrome. Sorry. Kodachrome, Ectachrome yeah, yeah. is already. That, but that Kodachrome, oh, man. Time, right? I know, I know. I mean, uh, have you seen have you seen original prints from uh, Kodachrome? Uh, no, I don't think so. Have you been to a Steve McCurry exhibition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I have a book or at least some images. Uh... Yeah, but... If you see them, I mean, here at uh, Leica, at the headquarters, they have a, an exhibition right now, Steve McCurry. So from where I live, it's not that far, so I will definitely go there and check it out. Um, and I've seen prints already, um, like big ones, and oh my God, it looks, the look, and they were prints, Kodachrome, uh, side by side with a digital one. Mm-hmm. And was such a big, it was such a big difference. The digital one would look, look good, but it was really flat compared to the um the the Kodachrome and yeah the Kodachrome I mean yeah you can tell the dynamic range is not that great you know but still that like the colors everything is so vibrant but it's not too saturated and yeah it looks great so a friend of mine um who he bought on a flea market he bought uh, a box full of um slides um Kodachrome slides for really cheap so and <laughs> I was visiting him and he told me about this. He showed me the the slides and just by holding it against the light source and just looking, just by looking at them, they were shot in in, um, probably in Japan around maybe 80s or 90s because you could see on the cars, you could see in the images, they look pretty old, like maybe 80s, late 80s, early 90s. So just by looking at it, like colors looked amazing. So that would be a film stock um, I would love to shoot, even though it might be a pain in the ass to to use. But yeah, that was, that would be great. But Probably not gonna happen. The problem is the chemicals. Um, they are. Mm, I mean, they probably have uh, problems with that because uh, they can't replace them because they're not around because they are. I don't know. Not that great for the environment. So uh, and they cannot replace <laughs> them. So I think it will not come back because it's a different uh, process than C41. You know. So the whole infrastructure is gone. I yeah. don't think it will come back. But hey, if they will do it, uh, yeah, I would definitely shoot it for sure. When, when you go out and shoot film, what is your um, photography process? Do you carry a light meter uh, and uh, do you ever use flash? Do you how, how do you set it up with uh, shooting film? Um, yeah, I mean, a light meter, um, only when I shoot slight film, then I will bring one because you have to be spot on with that. Um, but for instance, here on my M6, um, there's no battery in here. Uh, because I'm not using the light meter. Also, a reason that uh, this camera drains the battery quickly. So if you don't put it in the bulb mode, <laughs> uh, the battery will be dead next day. Um, but I don't know. I mean, if you shot film a lot, so you you know roughly your exposure. And um, 
I want to keep it simple, you know, and walking around with the light meter and like metering every scene. If you do, the moment is gone. So you have to be quick. So there's no point of metering every every scene. And as you know, probably that you can overexpose film like crazy and still get good results. So I try to overexpose. And that's, I mean, usually I don't really meter my films. It's pretty rare, to be honest. And especially if you should especially if you shoot at night because you need as much light as possible. So what's the point of metering at night? I mean, just pick the slowest shutter speed you can get away with and that's it. Open your aperture fully and then just go and shoot, you know, <laughs> because yeah, you cannot have enough light at night. You know, when you, uh, when you shoot film, there's no way. I mean, as more, if you get, can get more perfect, you might get a better image, a better result. So. <laughs> okay. And shooting, uh, you ask about flash. I mean, yes, if you shoot, um, even if your camera has a light meter, if you shoot flash, it's a different story because, I mean, you don't know what the exposure will be when you use the flash. Um, I I used a flash, but the thing is, when you use flash, it depends on the, your distance to the subject. So technically, you there would be the need to uh, meter every time because if it's a different... Uh, distance you need to meter again you know and for street photography that's not really working um i mean i think it's also experience um and like i said you can on a digital camera it can be a problem because it's um if you overexpose then details will get lost but on film it's not a problem i mean if you if your your flash is a little bit too strong it's not a big deal you know you can pull it back easily um that's why i think it's not necessary yes if you do portraits and you have set up lights of course then uh use a flash uh, um, use a light meter because you have the time for it but for street i would not do it no in one of your videos you ended up with double exposed film right is it something you want to try more in the future maybe intentionally this time uh yeah i thought about it um actually i thought about the thing is um i would like to do it but i want to uh line up so in that case in the video in mexico the photos were overlapping so it was pretty much like one big image (laughs) the whole role um i would like to line them up perfectly but it's on a leica it's pretty hard it's pretty much i think it's almost impossible to get it right uh on the um, the nikon fm2 that i have uh you can do double exposures but you can you have to shoot them you have to shoot the first image and then the second one but i would like to expose the whole role and then you know, go from there. Um, that's not easy, but for instance, on uh, this medium format camera that I showed you, uh, it's much easier because then you can line up the arrows, you know, if you load the film. So it's easy to get it uh, in the exact same spot. So you can shoot the roll one time, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, then maybe in a changing bag, <laughs> put it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a hustle, but maybe uh, at one point I will give it a try just to see what uh, you can come up with. Um, it's always random, you know, it's really hard to plan this through. It's pretty random. But uh, like in this video from uh, from Mexico, I mean, I, I think I've talked about it in the video that first I was really disappointed. <laughs> yeah. When I realized that I messed it up, that I uh, basically shot a role that has already been exposed. But, then but in the out, end, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it came out. Yeah, some images, they, they were really funny. I mean, they were really nice. I mean, um, but some maybe you shoot one role and you do it intentionally, then the images are not great. 
because the thing is i wasn't thinking about this when i shot the role not i had no idea you know but if you go out and you have this in mind maybe uh and you want to have something good maybe then the result might not be that great okay um so i haven't done this so i might try it just um to see what happens might also be interesting on the x-pen uh, but the, the only problem is on uh, you need an X-Pen 2 because if you do if you shoot the X-Pen 2, you have the option so the 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 um, film leader will stick out in the end. On the on the first one, it's not uh, it's not the case, so you have to pull it out again. Uh, this sometimes doesn't work. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I will definitely give it another try at one point. But you know, you cannot if you want to have serious work. No, I would not recommend doing this. Uh, or you have to shoot a whole lot. It's like, um, who said it? Uh, Bruce Gilden in this. There's this one video on YouTube where he's um, criticizing people so they could send in their work. I think it was Vice or something. So oh, yeah, they yeah. sent in their work, and he was harsh. <laughs> he was, but he was, he, but he was right. He was. I mean, he was harsh, but he was really right, on point. And at one point, there was this one guy i think he sent in photos that were not in focus or this one shot and then he said oh he criticized said oh this is shit but then he said one thing that's very powerful he said but if you have a couple hundred of these maybe then you have something here you know then maybe it works you know it's the same thing when you do this if you have only one role all the shots might be not great but if you have like hundreds of roles or hundreds of images maybe then you have something you know so you can also make a project work like this, but it will be very random. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> would you recommend to other photographers developing film at home or rather send it to the lab? I would recommend starting maybe uh, not with a lab, starting at home um, just to get the full experience. I'm not doing it right now because of time constraints. You know, it's from it's when I come back from somewhere, then I have like dozens of roles would take me a long time to develop all of these and scan so i'm not doing it i do it occasionally yes uh mostly black and white because uh for color the the, the chemicals would go bad um quickly so there's no, no no need right now to develop color for me so i just send it in it's fine but um i would definitely recommend um developing at home and that was how i started i mean i developed the first role i ever shot i developed myself because I wanted this, the full experience, you know. And yes, you will mess it up. Maybe you will <laughs> once in a while. I mean, I had roles where, I, uh, so if you, uh, I used HC110 Kodak. I don't, if you're familiar with that. And um, so you have to put in, uh, to make it quick, uh, 16 milliliters. So the um, 16 milliliters of developer. So for some reason, I used the wrong chart because I used it the first time, you know, I used the wrong chart and it was like, uh, I don't know, 60 or 70 milliliters because uh, that developer has already diluted, but my the one I had wasn't. So, so I, I put in like 60 or 70 milliliters, so it's way, way more, you know, and the, the film came out super overdeveloped and looked horrible. <laughs> Okay. And I thought, what happened? You know, I had no, then I realized, oh, damn it. I used the wrong chart, you know? <laughs> so I messed up the whole role. And I think, ah, I think I made a video about this there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a video where you can see, but it's still, it's the photos are still usable, but they look way worse than they would otherwise. Um, but I would definitely uh, advise people to um, try this at home, especially black, black and white and also color. It's not, 
it's not rocket science. It's pretty easy, to be honest. Um, I thought before, I thought, oh, it's it's really hard, uh, especially um, color, because people say, oh, it's really hard to develop color. But I think, no, it's not. It's Maybe it's even easier than developing black and white because it's uh, in black and white, you can do so many things. You can do use different developers, uh, different developing times, different stand developing, you know, where you don't move it around at all. You just let it sit and all these things. But if you uh, develop color, it's one it's one standard, it's one process. The C41, there's different manufacturers of chemicals, but the process is pretty much the same. Only difference is you can push and pull. Yeah, that's a difference. But other than that, it's always, it's very consistent. Okay. But in black and white, in black and white, it can happen that you, if you had, if you don't have a process figured out for yourself that you like, uh, you might develop the same film, shot this, in this under the same conditions, and then the result will look different because you approach the developing differently. So there, there's more variation in terms of um, developing in black and white. So this might take some time until you figure out what works for you, what kind of look you want, and how to achieve it. And color, it's like there's only one way, basically. And have you ever tried so, yeah, think... to cross-process the film? Because that's one thing no. you can do with, with color, right? I know. Uh, I mean, I used uh, before, I, sh I mean, I don't know, 10 years ago, I used, uh, you know, there's the Nick soft. Do you remember the Nick software, this plugin? Maybe you remember um, no, it was a plugin sorry. like it was before all these. Uh, I mean, it was a uh, back then, I think it was Photoshop. Uh, I, used, yeah, I think I used Photoshop um, and they had filters like to make the photo look like cross processed. So I use that uh, once in a while, but I wasn't a fan. So I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big fan of uh, cross-processing uh, film. I know Rico GR3 um, has uh, JPEG mode mm, with the cross-process okay. look. Yeah. Uh, that's that's how I found it. And like sometimes okay. it looks interesting, uh, but I would say most of the time it looks kind of out of place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. When you decide you're going to push film, what, what are yeah. your artistic intentions? What you are looking for? What subjects are you looking for? Uh, I think it's not so much determined by uh, subjects. It's more like the lighting conditions, um, and or you want a certain look. You want, for instance, if you if you use uh, HP5 or Tri-X and you push it to 1600, for instance, um, if you do it in the daytime, there's actually no need to do it because uh, there's not enough light uh, but you do it because you want maybe a little bit more grain uh, a little bit more contrast or a whole lot more contrast <laughs> um, so that's pretty much the reason people doing this and when you shoot at night um, most of the time you have you pretty much have to otherwise the yeah so the highlights are not really uh, they are a little dull you know and if you I mean the thing is, you cannot do through pushing. You cannot um, um, make the image much brighter. It's not happening. What's happening is so the the highlights they will get more contrast, so they will look uh, brighter. But actually, they are not really brighter, and um, you will introduce more grain, of course. Um, but yeah, I like the look. I mean, it has. I don't know. It's it's really interesting, especially uh, Triax. Also, uh, it's a little bit more contrasty if you push it more contrasty than HP5 in general, but also if you push it. And yeah, I mean, the look is it's really nice. Um, 
I wasn't a fan when I started shooting film of the look, but it grew on me after using it or trying it out for a bit. And I shot uh, one project in Bangkok uh, where I cannot, where I have some images somewhere around here, but I shot a project in Bangkok where I pushed HP5 to 1600, like for the whole project. So I already had this in mind. I want, I want this look, you know, I want the contrast image, even though it's in the daytime, you know, I want to contrast the image. Uh, and yeah, I'm happy with the results. So it looks really cool. So, um, and currently thinking about what to do with the project <laughs> because <laughs> I think, you know, I, if you do a project, uh, it's really hard to, uh, to end the project maybe sometimes because you, you think you're always thinking, uh, you're second guessing yourself. Maybe I need more, 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 more images. So it can get hard in this case. I know it's probably, uh, over because I'm not, I will not be able to continue this project, you know, so I know now, okay, it's pretty much finished. And I think I have already enough um, images. So I was working on this for like two or three years. So <laughs> in different uh, occasions, I was there. So yeah, that was great uh, shooting. And I developed everything at home. So that okay. was a pain. That was rough. I mean, <laughs> when I came back, with like 30 rolls and developed 30 rolls. And oh, my God, because I also want to see my images, you know, that's, so I, I forced myself, no, okay, today I will develop like six, seven rolls and also scan them, which takes a long time, a long time. And um, yeah, but it was, yeah, but it's worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> and when you work on project, uh, when you decide yeah. you have enough material to actually make a publication like a zine or a book, yeah. or is it sometimes it's limited by the time, right? Because like, let's say the 28 yes. you did was, I, I believe, one week or something like that. You traveled for the location. But do you have any ongoing projects that you are like, you know, sometimes kind of unsure, should I continue shooting or should I just, you know, finish the project? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the uh, one I shot in, in Bangkok, um, I thought maybe, you know, I... <laughs> The idea was last year to, I was there last year in March and I wanted to continue, but I couldn't, you know, because of the whole lockdown thing. So I could not really, uh, couldn't really, um, and there were less people and people were masked up and it did not fit what I did before. So this and the location is, will be gone. <laughs> the location where I shot uh, will be gone in the future. So there I know for sure it's over. Um, the project, uh, another project that I was shooting in Mexico, I shot over four months. Um, that project is also over because it's more, it's street photography, yes, but it's also like a personal project from, it got inspiration from how I felt in that period, you know? And so this is also over because it's different. It's different now. I'm, I'm somewhere else. It's, uh, the, everything is different. Um, it's really hard to explain it without seeing it, but uh, so for me, going back there and continuing wouldn't be the same. I, yes, I could. I, technically, I could, but I know for me, it's not the same, um, and it f would feel like cheating, you know. <laughs> okay. If that makes sense. Uh, I mean, nobody knows, of course, but I know, and that's for me, that's enough, you know. If I know now, that doesn't feel right, you know. And I, I already have like plenty of images, so it's there's no no need to shoot more because then it would make things way harder to come up with a selection because I mean out of this I would probably only need like 50 60 shots and yeah that will already be really hard to break it down to only like 50 60 shots 
And uh, you said you're working on a project uh, from Mexico, so that's like the finished project you did, right? I mean, it's not, you know, it's not finished. I mean, the shooting part is finished, yes. So are you But going to do like a zine or book or something like that? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that it's is a, a good question. Um, it's not a secret project. I mean, when I was there, I was shooting, um, I was shooting a lot of videos. Um, and these images are not really part of these videos because I was shooting videos, uh, once, twice a week. And I was basically shooting every day. So there's way more photos that are not in, uh, any of the those videos and you know it's and it's a different thing if i go out to shoot a video maybe there's something that might be uh let me just get some water but something i might uh it's a good maybe good opportunity to explain that because what people need to understand is uh if you shoot a video for me it has become a different story than when i started out you know when i started i sometimes i don't know i, I knew okay i can shoot a video it doesn't matter how long it takes how long it takes now it's different because for instance if i go to a place it's more like a, a a business approach you know because i go to a place and i know um i have to have a certain amount of videos so it makes sense to do it because i cannot go to a place and take two three days to shoot a video because it was it's pretty much pointless a waste of time so i have this time constraints I know if I shoot a video, I have maybe, okay, on that day, I have three hours because I want to shoot in the best lighting conditions maybe, and maybe I have three hours to shoot the video and I have to get it done in three hours. And it's a different story when I go out to shoot for a project, you know, because then I don't, there's no pressure to uh, finish something that day. I only shoot if I find something interesting, but if I have these like this limited amount of time and I know I have to have something in the end, I might have to ha to shoot things that I otherwise would not. Okay. Because, you know, I have to, yes, it's, it's great to have, sometimes it lines up and everything is working fine. It's great. And, uh, um, but often enough, it's not working. So I have to have like filler images, <laughs> you know, to have a product in the end, you know, and that's, um, I think that is something that um, a lot of people don't realize that, um, and also when, I mean, you remember the first videos I did, I did a lot of B-roll and stuff. So I cut it out at one point because it's just taking way too much time. So for me, this took as long as filming the video itself. So at one point I thought, okay, maybe I should, uh, film instead two videos <laughs> instead of doing the B-roll yeah. stuff, you know, makes much more sense. And so a friend of mine, he's a uh, very, um, he's a YouTuber. Uh, he's not in front of the camera, but he's uh, he's very, um, I mean, he's very successful on YouTube. Let's put it that way. And he told me, hey, um, do you think people really watch the videos for the B-roll, you know? Or it may, might look good, but it, they don't remember the videos because of that, you know? And he's right. You know? That's why I decided, okay, now nah, just I will stop that because it's, it doesn't make much sense. And it's holding me back from uh, making more content. So it's better to have more content than making this maybe maybe look make it look a little bit nicer or the production a little bit better um so yeah um but what was the initial question <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, i think uh, we're a little off topic right now but no no that's fine 
Um, so now, the, always, if if you finish a project, it's always the question what you're gonna do with this. Uh, when I shot um, this year the the 28 scene, you know, I I knew I will I want to make a zine out of this if I can come up with something. I mean, it's already uh, it's a lot of pressure on myself just going to Egypt. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I'm now here for like a couple of days, so a week, a little over a week, and I have to make it work, uh, even without having ever been there in that place, you know. Uh, and I'm glad it did work. And uh, you know, um, I will also talk about this in today's video. But when I arrived there, my my M6 broke basically, you know. <laughs> so uh, it was still working, but there's a um, underneath the. The shutter dial, there's a spring okay. that holds it in place, and the spring snapped on so the you first day. On one uh, shutter speed. So, not technically. I, I mean, the thing is, first of all, I didn't know if it still works or worked. So I figured out, okay, it's still working. The shutter speeds sounded okay, but there was always the chance, okay, it might break more. So uh, what are you gonna do? So I taped it to two one two fifties. Okay. So. <laughs> So I did not. I, sh I shot the whole scene at one two fiftieth. I only used the aperture to, uh, I mean, control how much light got in. <laughs> so uh, that was, I mean, but that's that was actually a good little... speed for street photography. Yeah, it is. Yes, yes. That's why I picked um, two fiftieth. But that, oh man, that was a. To me, this was like, oh my god, what's going on? I mean, this could have failed from the from the start, you know. But I'm glad it worked. Everything worked out just fine. Um, but. In that case, yes, I knew before I want to make a zine out of it. Um, even though some people told me, ah, maybe it's a waste making only a zine, but I think it's fine. It's totally fine. Like the uh, other the other zines that I did, like the the X-Pen ones, um, I had no intention or no intention to make a zine. You know, this just happened because people asked me, uh, oh, make a zine out of the images. So I wasn't shooting for for any publication in this case. And with the 28 zine, it was different because I, I went there to shoot for something to uh, print. Um, and now the one, the um, project I shot in, in Mexico, I had no real intentions doing a project before going there because I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. But we quickly after arriving after one or two weeks, I, I could tell, okay, maybe I can do something here, you know. Uh, so the good thing is then you will go out and you will look for these things that line up That's why I also use the red filter for pretty much the whole time to have a consistent look and okay. I used only this one cap this one camera because I knew Maybe I will have in the end. I will have enough images to do something out of it That's also why I mean the plan was only to stay a month uh, but I extended uh, to four months because I had this idea of doing a, like a project The question now is what are you gonna do with this? You know uh, a zine, no. I I think in this case it would be a waste. Uh, a zine, yes, you can have a zine. Nice. I mean, the idea of a zine is to have something low budget, you know, um, and not to have like high end printing, the best possible paper in a zine. That doesn't make much sense, you know. I think this is better. Um, if you if you do a, a book, a real book, then yes. But for a zine, um, but for me when I um, made the zines i always wanted to have like good printing you know that for me no digital printing i wanted to have offset printing to have like the boss best possible quality for uh, i mean it also depends on the price and it's the also price, cheaper uh, isn't it if you print more it, 
Yes, it's yes, yes. It's cheaper if you print more, of course. Um, so a, f a friend was um, also thinking about like doing a zine, and he was like, "Oh, he will do like a hundred copies um, or something um, digital." And I asked, I told him, "Hey, maybe just go and see if you can have offset printing, of maybe for only a little bit more money, but you get maybe three, four hundred copies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, might be worth it. Might be totally worth it. I mean, even if you don't have." Uh, the ability to sell it now, but maybe over time, you never know. I mean, if you print 100 copies now and you sell them and you need another 100 copies, it will cost you the same money, you know? Yeah, <laughs> Why not yeah. just do more now? If you don't sell it, okay, then you can always just give it away for free. Uh, you won't lose any money, so maybe um, give it a try. But yeah, I mean, but in this case, with the, um, the project in Mexico, I think... A, I think it would be a waste to do this. So you're now the question for a becomes proper, proper like for a book. Are you going to publish it yes. yourself or are you looking for publishers? I was just about to talk about this because <laughs> that's that's because you know that's uh, that's the next question. You know, yeah. the next question is what are you gonna do? Do we want to um, self-publish? Which, in terms of business, makes more sense? Absolutely, because uh, I mean, you have it printed. I mean, and you sell it yourself, so the profit only goes to you, but there's a lot of work involved, you know? Yeah, yeah. Marketing. A lot. The marketing, I mean, the, mar the marketing is maybe ship shipping, yes, the shipping, and also um, everything preparing the book, you know, the sequencing, the design, everything. Um, I mean, for a zine, it's fine to do it myself, but I don't know if I want to do this for this book, you know? And also these, all these images that I have, I um, if I look at them, it would be really hard to pick the images. And if you have somebody else having a look at it, um, you might get a different perspective. And I think to it's better to work with somebody to come up with a sequence in this case. Uh, especially if you want to, if you're doing a book, then you might as well just do it right, you know. Yeah. yeah. And also the the whole design thing. Um, and then the question is, do you want to do it yourself or hire somebody, which is not cheap. If you want to have somebody that is really good at doing this, it will probably cost you the same amount of money as the printing itself, you know. But as you might then get a publisher, maybe a good publisher that already they will do it in-house. Um, but it, mean, it would mean less uh, profit for you, of course, but they might as well sell more books than you could ever. Because it also um, so, depends on how much time you want to spend on that, right? Because yes. like yeah, publisher exactly, saves exactly. you a lot of time. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes, and also it's I think if you have a book um, published through a publisher, it always looks better. If um, if you can show that hey here I have this book like this and that publisher, maybe if it's a, a publisher has a good reputation, you know, then it already looks much better than self-publishing. Um, so I think. I'm leaning more towards finding a publisher. I've never done this, so I have no okay. idea. Uh, one thing, I've I've talked to one guy a couple of years back and he uh, told me that usually it's, um, they ask you for a payment upfront, okay. usually, because they, they won't, don't want to take the risk, you know. Or you have As, to buy I mean, some number of books uh, and oh, this, sell yes. them yourself. You can do like yes. a Kickstarter or something like that. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I can I can see why. I mean, if you're a super famous photographer, of course, um, they will not do this, you know, because they know the book will just fly off the shelves. No problem, you know. Um, 
but yeah i'm, I'm leaning towards that moment uh, at the moment more um so i will definitely look into this um if i cannot find uh, a publisher maybe it also depends on what kind of deal they offer you know if if the deal is not good or is really bad then maybe I, I might end up doing it myself but um i will definitely try i mean there's there's one uh, i mean in my hometown there's one uh, the kera verlag kera you know oh yeah it's like uh, it's one I of have, the biggest ones i have few books from them yeah they are in my hometown you know okay <laughs> so that would be close and they're one Yeah, yeah, that's uh, maybe it makes sense. I, I already, I also know somebody who knows somebody working there. So okay, um, yeah, maybe I don't know. Give it a try, uh, <clears throat> but um, yeah, it also depends on how busy they are. If they yeah. even accept your project or not, yeah, you never know. Or they only say, oh no, we only work with uh, photographers that we worked before, whatever. Um, I don't know about that, but I will definitely give it a try and see what they say. Uh, and then, I mean, there's other ones as well. Uh, but because it's in my, it's it's here and where I live, so it's uh, it's way easier. You can just go there, you know, and uh, talk through everything, and maybe have a look, and maybe present your um, your files and uh, your work. So I think it's much better and do this in person than. And also, when I printed the zines, I opted for a printing company that's here, where I can just go and see it okay. while they are printing. You know, uh, even though it might be more expensive than have it done somewhere else i can i can have it printed in, in i don't know in poland or something and it's way cheaper but you know there it's i i don't see it you know i i will only get the result and if it's not that great then i will be very the image quality and stuff no exactly so yeah i prefer that yeah for that reason i think uh would be i mean it's just an idea right now so i have no idea if this would work out but yeah it would be cool nevertheless yeah You shot a lot of different cameras, right? Which yes. one is the one you like most? Oh, okay. Similar question to uh, what's your favorite film? Uh, it depends. <laughs> I think one camera, um, let's split it into two categories, right? So one film and one digital because it's not comparable. But um, for a digital camera, I think the, the answer, I mean, For both, the answers are very easy. For digital, it's the Leica Q, the original one, because I have this camera since uh, mid-2015 when it launched. Like, I got it the day after. And, I mean, I think I don't have any uh, digital camera that is that old, you know. I mean, for a digital camera, this it's very old. Like, it's more than five years. It's six years already. Um, yeah, it's six years right now. Wow, that's crazy. And it still works. Um, that's... Even though I'm not using it much on on YouTube, but I'm still using it. So for weddings, uh, I use it a lot. So this camera has seen everything. It has been around the world, in like the roughest condition, like on a sailing boat, uh, on I don't know in the desert, you know, everywhere, and okay. it survived. Um, like this would be, and it's also my favorite focal length. So makes sense. That this is my uh, favorite one, and also um, for film, it's my like I'm six. I I would say for sure because it's the most versatile camera, film camera that I have, um, and it's a fully mechanical camera, so it's less likely to break except like the <laughs> spring. <laughs> um, yeah, and you don't you cannot run out of batteries, you know. For instance, when I was in uh, in Russia, I shot an episode, and right when I shot the first photo on the X-Pen, the battery failed. <laughs> 
Okay. I was like, oh, I thought, oh my God, really? First image. <laughs> so what did you? And do? I had no spare. Yeah, I had no spare ones with me, but I would just went to a camera shop and bought some uh, some new batteries. Okay. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, so I yeah, that was a little. The problem is it has a battery indicator, but um, it showed full the whole time and then just died. You know, it's not reliable at all. It's not really, um, not really an indicator at all. <laughs> no, it's not really. No, it's just there, but it's just it's just a placeholder maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, it's better to bring. But usually you can shoot like 30 rolls uh, or something like that with battery, uh, two batteries. So, but in that case, yeah, I hadn't because I wasn't using it for a while. Uh, I had no idea how much battery life was in there but it's okay it happens you know if it happens it's fine uh, then maybe it's not supposed to happen that video on that day so it's okay okay but yeah i think uh for that uh, maybe if if somebody would give me uh the 30 mil for the expand maybe it would be different because that's just yeah that's just insane i mean you can get so close to people and still have so much still in the frame so they have no idea that they're in the frame actually which is pretty pretty insane uh, I mean, if I could pick one or design one, it would be like a, a fully mechanical X-Pen, which would be the absolute dream. And a 30 mil lens, I think this could be um, then my favorite camera, film camera. But this, yeah, it's not there. So <laughs> it's the Leica M6. Absolutely, yes. Okay, perfect. But it could also be like a MA or like an MP. It's, you know, it's it's the same thing in the end. So you could even use like Leica M3 if you don't use the light meter, right? What's the difference? Uh, yes, the difference is the frame lines. I mean, the M3 only has 50 millimeter oh, yeah, frame lines. Only 50. Yeah. So for me, only the M4P and maybe M, I think M5 also has uh, 80, 28 millimeter frame lines. Uh, or does it? Does it or doesn't? It? I don't know. It you doesn't matter. I don't know. Like... viewfinder, right? For mm... yeah, you yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could do this. Uh, one advantage would be um, the view. I mean, if you. Here the Sumicron also is block already is blocking the um, the viewfinder, and if you use an external one, um, it's much better for that. So you can see the whole frame. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know I don't have one, uh, and they are really expensive, so <laughs> they cost like a, a couple hundred. I mean, if you get get a Voigtlander for a better deal, that might be an option. Um, but yeah, I think M6. M7. I've never shot an M7, but it also needs batteries, or you are stuck maybe with uh, two shutter speeds in case um, the battery is dead. Or right now, I mean, I was thinking about um, picking up a new um, M uh, analog one, and so for me always the dream camera was the MP, the black MP, the black paint one, because then you know if the brassing comes through, yeah, it, it looks pretty cool. With you. Yes, but then. It, at one point, I prefer the uh, because I have two M6 cameras, a black one and a silver one, and I much rather shoot the silver one. For some reason, I like it way more. So I'm leaning more towards um, a silver camera, you know. And there's no brassing, and then I would probably go with the MA because it doesn't have a light mirror. It's fully mechanical. There's no electronics in there whatsoever. And the front because there's here there's the compartment for the battery here. Okay. And the, and the MA doesn't have that, so it's the, it looks even cleaner. So it's uh, to me, this would be the ideal camera right now to get. But the thing is, why should I replace the M6 with that? <laughs> you know, it's it's in the end, it's exactly the same. So it's no point. 
of wasting money for <laughs> for that. I mean, you could sell both M6 and it would easily uh, get the money for the MA, yeah, but I'd much rather have a backup camera. With with you like shooting film, what about Leica MD? Is it something maybe you considered? Uh, no, not really. Um, you know, if I buy a, a digital Leica M, then and I don't want to see the images, then I just turn off the the uh, the dot, uh, the real uh, screen. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean it looks cool, uh, but. I don't know, and it's it's more expensive, which yeah. makes sense because it's uh, it's less quantity, you know. Um, it's more expensive to produce them, but I don't know. For me, there's it's still not film, you know. Okay. And and I think I mean you have auto exposure in there. Okay, yes, but if you go fully manual, um, there you have to be more careful because I think getting the exposure good on film is easier because you can just overexpose and you will be okay. On uh, digital, yes, you can underexpose, of course, but it, you have to be careful not to overexpose because then it gets messy pretty quickly. And I think it's easier to give, you know, to uh, maybe give the the film more light. It's easier to guess oh, okay. on the overexposure side, if that makes sense. I mean, at least for me, it's um, it seems mm -hmm. easier than get it spot on or uh, maybe not overexpose. Um, Yeah, I think for some people the camera. I mean, I've met people that were shooting the camera, uh, but it's not a camera for me. The monochrome, yes, I like. I like this concept a lot, of, even though a lot of people don't get it and say, "Oh, it's not worth spending that amount of money for um, this camera." But I mean, like I'm selling a lot of them. Otherwise, they have uh, different iterations already, like different uh, M cameras. Now there's a monochrome Q, you know. Um, they would not do this if this concept wasn't would not be working, but it is working and uh, a lot of people appreciate that they appreciate that they don't have to um, convert the images and yes, you can uh, switch a digital camera a color one to black and white, but it's it's pretty much uh, JPEG okay. It's not raw, you know, and the image quality you can get out of um, These uh, monochrome files is way way better There's no way around it. I mean, you can, like I said, you can shoot at night at two one two fiftieth, which is pretty crazy. Um, and also, if you in low ISO, I mean, the the uh, also the dynamic range is pretty crazy. It's absolutely insane. It's so yeah, already if an advantage in if you shoot low ISO. So, and also I think it has a certain look, you know. And also is um, it keeps you in this mindset of shooting black and white. Oh yeah, I'm. I mean, I addressed this before, but it's um, if you have a, a color a camera that can shoot color, you will there will always be this the the occasion where you will second guess, you know, should ah should I shoot color or black and white? In this case, you have no choice. Yes, you will. I mean, I've moment I had moments where I thought, oh man, color would be way better now, but it happens, you know. <laughs> but it's fine. It's part of the game. I mean, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, you know. Thank you once again for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe whenever you're listening to it. Please give this podcast a five-star rating, a review, and please take a screenshot and throw it out on your Instagram stories so other people might find it as well. Come back next week because I will be talking with another interesting guest about photography. In case you would like to listen to shorter episodes more frequently, there is another podcast called Best Of About Photography and it is updated daily with highlights from the interviews. I'm very happy you are tuning in for another episode of Podcast About Photography. Until next time.